No, let's do this. Let's get into the Word together. I, uh, I'm excited. You guys know I've been excited about this series. I, uh, I didn't realize just how much I would love it, even when I was first putting the series together, but it's been awesome. We're in a series called After God's Own Hearts. We are studying the life of King David so that we can glean things from his life to help us understand how can we live as a people after God's own hearts. And so we have looked at David the underdog, David the friend, David the leader. Uh, we've looked at David the father. We've looked at David the covenant king. Last week, Sugi did a great job presenting to us David the worshiper. Uh, yeah, give it up for Sugi. Man, all of our preaching development team has been amazing this year, and this fall, we still have Roy and Lannis to come. They've, they've had to stress about it all year long, wondering when their number's going to get pulled. So uh, the, the development team has been awesome. So uh, if you've missed any of the sermons in this series, go back to the podcast or go back to the digital campus and, and check them out. They've been great. Today is part seven, and we're going to look at David the Sinner. David the sinner. Now, uh, in the Bible, there are two episodes of sin that are recorded in David's life. I would say two significant episodes. David is a man just like us, right? He walked in a sinful flesh, and, and, and he dealt with sin all of his life. But there were two major episodes of sin that were recorded in the Bible. Now, those episodes are not meant for us to think that David just lived in unabashed sin all the time. David was a man after God's own heart. He worshiped God. He loved God. He led the people to worship God. But David had sin. One of those was his sexual sin with Bathsheba, and the other one was when he took a census of the people that God had not told him to take. And so today, we're going to focus in on the episode with Bathsheba. I was kind of trying to write a sermon where we addressed both, and it just got to be too much. So uh, I just focused in on one. Even focusing on one, it might be too much. We'll see what happens here. But... Uh, uh, we're really going to focus in on that, uh, that particular episode of sin. But if you've got your notes, you can find your notes inside your bulletin. They're also on the church app. They're also attached to this video on our website, and they're attached to this podcast if you're listening to the podcast. Our big picture point today is this. King David showed he was a man after God's own heart, not in being perfect from sin, but in his response to being confronted with his sin. Right, and so uh, we're not uh, we're not striving for perfection. That's not who we are. We are broken, sinful human beings. Even in the grace of Jesus Christ, we still have the curse of sin in our flesh. And though our hearts and our spirits desire to please the Lord, we still stumble in our flesh. We understand that. But we also understand that there is grace, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So we don't strive after perfection, but we do strive to live a life worthy of the calling that Christ Jesus has put upon us. But when we do sin, it's how we respond to it that shows that we are a people after his heart. The British theologian G.C. Morgan said it like this, the deepest truth concerning man is revealed not by the failures, but by his actions afterwards. The deepest truth of our lives is not revealed by our failures, but by our actions after our failures. 
Now, I want to talk about a, a certain story that was big in the news that I just found to be tremendously upsetting, but it reflects somewhat of the culture we live in today, but it also reflects the wrong response to sin. You guys may have heard of Deshaun Watson. He is an elite talent quarterback in the National Football League. Uh, he, he's an amazing quarterback. He's a, a special player. But what was discovered is that Deshaun Watson has a serial history of scheduling massages with women and then trying to have sexual encounters with those women. Right? The New York Times did an investigative study and found that he, in a matter of a year and a half, had had uh, massage therapy sessions with, with over 60 women. Uh, 25 of those women filed suits against him, accusing him of sexual assault. Deshaun Watson, confronted with this reality, this was the press conference that he had. First off, he said... All of my sexual encounters with these women were consensual. So he admitted that he has had multiple sexual encounters with these women and that he has sought out these sexual encounters. The second thing he said is, I don't regret any of it. I don't regret any of it. But it gets worse because the next thing he said is I would like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for bringing me through this season. Confronted with his sin, his declaration is, I have no regrets. But then he tried to drop the name of Jesus. The truth of Deshaun Watson was revealed in how he responded when he was confronted with his sin. I want us to look at the life of King David so that we can understand how to respond when confronted with our sin. So we're going to go to this episode, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and let's begin to read this story together. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Let's talk about David's sin today. You can see our first thought in our notes is this. Sin is always conceived long before it is committed. Sin is always conceived long before it is committed. James chapter 1 says it like this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So before we ever commit sin, it's conceived in our flesh. 
Man, you've heard myself and Sugi and Andrew all quote this book by John Mark Comer, and that's just because it's an amazing book and we can't get enough of it. But I'm going to quote it again here. Listen to what John Mark Comer says about the root of sin in our lives. He says, sin is deceptive ideas, which comes from the devil, right, the father of lies, that play to disordered desires, which is a brokenness of our flesh, that are normalized in a sinful society, which is what the Bible calls the world. Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. That is where sin is conceived, right? Our flesh desires something. The devil lies to us about it. The world tells us it's okay. And then we commit it. Are you guys following me? So how was this sin conceived in David well before it was committed? Well, this sin was conceived first when David chose to live outside of God's plan for marriage. Right? We know that David was first married to Michael, the daughter of Saul. But we also know that when Saul went crazy and chased David through the wilderness, that Saul actually took Michael and gave her to another man. So at this point, we can't blame David if he takes another wife because his crazy father-in-law took his wife and gave her to another man. And so David took another wife, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. With her, he had Amnon, his firstborn, who should have been the heir to the throne. But at that point, he then takes Abigail, the Carmelitess, to be his wife. And now he has stepped outside of God's plan for marriage. Once you step outside of God's plan, now you're going down a slippery slope. And now he's taking multiple wives and multiple concubines. Listen, the lust of the flesh can never be satisfied. Why? Well, because the very fact that we're operating in the lust of the flesh means that we have decided that we are not satisfied with God. And if we can't be satisfied with God... We're not going to be satisfied with anything. And whatever the lust of the flesh is going after, it doesn't just have to be sexual sin. But whatever the lust of the flesh is going after, it will never be satisfied. Right? And for all the wives and concubines that David had, his son Solomon took it a step forward, had like 300 wives, 700 concubines. He had 1,000 women. The theologian David Gudzik said it like this. He said, if one woman isn't enough, then 1,000 women aren't enough. Once you step outside of God's plan, there is no satisfying the lust of the flesh. And so David's sin with Bathsheba was conceived the moment he took a second wife and decided that he was going to live in the lust of the flesh. David's sin was also conceived when he was not where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be at war with his army, and he chose to stay home. He was not where he was supposed to be. I love Proverbs chapter 7. It tells the story of a young man who gets seduced into sin with an adulterous woman, and that sin leads to his death. But listen to the young man, or listen to this story about the young man in Proverbs 7. The writer says, And I saw among the naive and discerned among the youth a young man lacking sense. Other translations would call him a foolish young man. Passing through the street near her corner, 
And he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of hearts. Right, listen, this young man didn't just fall into sin because this woman came out and seduced him. He fell into sin because he was in front of her house late at night, and there was no reason why he should have been in front of her house late at night. Sin is conceived when we put ourselves in the wrong place, which is why I love Galatians 5.16. Paul said this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Listen, if you are led by the Spirit, the Spirit will never lead you to a place where you're going to give in to the lust of the flesh. Right? So if we follow the Spirit, we'll never end up in the wrong place. When we follow the desire of the flesh, we will always end up in the wrong place. David was not where he was supposed to be. And finally, sin was conceived when David allowed his eyes and his thoughts to linger. Listen, nothing says that he went up to that roof looking for women bathing. That's not why he went up there. Right? He might have thought, man, I can't sleep. I'm going to go up here and maybe I'll set my mind on the things of God. Right? Who knows why he went up on the roof? But while he was up there, he saw a naked woman bathing. And he had a choice the moment he saw that... He could have turned his eyes away, right? I taught my son a principle that I learned as a young man following the Lord, and that principle is bouncing the eyes. Listen, we can't always control if our eyes fall on something that might cause us to lust, right? We live in Kauai. We're on the beach all the time. There's all kinds of stuff on the beach that our eyes can fall on that could cause us to lust. So what do we do? We bounce the eyes. When your eyes fall on something that might cause you to lust, whether it's in person or whether it's on your computer screen or on TV or whatever the case may be, bounce the eyes. Just look somewhere else. Bounce the eyes. But he let his eyes linger, and he let his thoughts linger. Job said this, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Job made a covenant with his eyes. I'm going to bounce my eyes. I'm not going to let my eyes gaze. Jesus said it like this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus was exaggerating. We don't want anybody gouging their eyes out. But Jesus was emphasizing the importance of not letting our eyes linger upon the wrong thing. Sin was conceived when David allowed his eyes to linger. And when his eyes lingered, his thoughts began to linger. And his thoughts turned into action. Sin is conceived well before it's committed. The second thought I want to share with you is this. The conviction of the Holy Spirit won't always be there. So respond to it while you have the chance. Listen, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin, respond to it. Because every time you ignore it, it gets quieter and quieter. You feel it a little less and less until you get to the point where you don't feel it anymore. And when you can sin and not feel it anymore, you're in a scary place. You're in a scary place. So David, 
after seeing this woman, goes and asks about her. Hey, who's the beautiful woman that lives at such and such? And the people said, well, isn't that Bathsheba? And they said, isn't that the daughter of, hang on, let me read the name right. Isn't that the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah? You see, right there in that moment, the Holy Spirit was speaking to David. Because who is Eliam? One of David's mighty men. One of the 30. One of his boys. Her dad is Eliam. Who's Eliam's dad? Ahithophel. Who is Ahithophel? David's most trusted advisor. That the Bible says that when Ahithophel speaks, everybody takes it as the word of God. Because that's how wise of an advisor he is. So this woman, her dad is one of his mighty men. Her grandpa is his closest advisor. And then, oh, isn't this the wife of Uriah? Who's Uriah? Another one of his mighty men. Three times the Holy Spirit should have spoken to him. Don't touch this woman. Don't touch this woman. Don't touch this woman. And the only thing David heard, this is the wife of Uriah. You know what David heard? Oh, her husband's not home. That's all he heard. Because the warriors were out to war. And David did not follow the opportunity he had to respond to the Holy Spirit. And he committed this sin. The third thought I want to share with you is this. That we are redeemed from sin, but not always from the consequences of sin. We are redeemed from sin, but not always from the consequences of sin, right? The blood of Jesus forgives us of the spiritual consequence of our sin. What is the spiritual consequence? Separation from God, death, eternity, and hell. The blood of Jesus forgives us of those spiritual consequences, but it does not forgive us of all of the physical consequences of sin, right? Think about this. From the age of, of 19 until I came to Christ at the age of 22, in that three-year span, in my addiction, I failed out of college. I got arrested several times. The first time was for driving under the influence, and then I just kept going back to jail. And in that truck that I was driving, when I got arrested for driving under the influence, eventually I couldn't make the payments on it, and it got repossessed. Right? All of that happened in that three-year span. At 22 years old, I give my life to Christ. I'm saved. God puts the Holy Spirit in me. I'm transformed into a new person, and I'm living a new life. But guess what? I still had tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt from that college I failed out of. I still had thousands of dollars in fines because of that DUI, and I still owed Ford Motor Credit Company thousands of dollars for that truck that got repossessed. And none of that went away. Jesus didn't make any of that debt disappear. I had to work on all of it, right? So just because we're forgiven of the spiritual consequences of our sin does not mean that all the physical consequences go away, right? A lot of times we're just like, hey, I can sin, I can confess to Jesus, and we're all good, and I get away with it. No, you're going to face the consequences of it. Listen to what happens to David as he's speaking to the prophet Nathan. Nathan says this to David about his sin. Now, therefore, 
The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and under the sun. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So listen, David confessed his sin, and through the prophet Nathan, God immediately said to you, you are not going to die from your sin. I have forgiven your sin. So David was not going to face the spiritual consequence of his sin. But he was going to face several physical consequences of his sin. First and foremost is that the child that he conceived with Bathsheba would die. And this baby died before he was given a name, which means he probably wasn't even eight days old yet. God also said the sword would be within your family. Violence and murder would be within your family. And wouldn't you know it that Amnon would commit rape and that Absalom would murder Amnon and then Absalom would turn against David, right? All of this was a consequence of David's sin. And then he also said your wives and your concubines would be violated publicly. And that was fulfilled when Absalom did that very thing after Absalom had taken over the throne. Just because you're forgiven of your sins doesn't mean you won't face consequences for your sin. So let's talk about David's response to his sin. I want to look at the fact that he had a flesh response and he had a heart response. And obviously, we want to focus on being a people of a heart response to sin so that we can be a people after God's own heart. But first, we see David's flesh response to sin. His immediate flesh response was to cover it up. Right? So what does he do? Bathsheba comes and says, hey, king, what are we going to do now? I'm pregnant. And David's like, I got to cover this up. I got to make some way to where nobody knows I've done this. So what does he do? He calls Uriah home from war says, welcome home, Uriah. I just needed to connect with you on a few things. Why don't you go home and we'll talk tomorrow? But Uriah didn't go home. He slept at the gate of the city. David calls him in and says, Uriah, why didn't you go home? Your wife is there. And Uriah is like, how could I sleep with my wife when all my brothers are still on the battlefield? How deep must that have cut David? Because David slept with his wife while all his brothers were on the battlefield. So what does David do? Gets him drunk. If I can get him drunk, then surely he'll sleep with his wife. So he gets him drunk. Uriah still won't sleep with his wife. So what does he do? He writes a note and tells Joab to abandon Uriah in battle so that Uriah would die in battle. He seals the note, and who does he give it to? Uriah. He knows that Uriah is such a man of integrity, that Uriah has such great character that he could actually hand the murder note to Uriah himself because he knows that Uriah won't look at it and he'll faithfully deliver it to Joab. 
And that's exactly what happens. And he has Uriah killed. And once Uriah is dead, he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Now David looks like the good guy. I'm taking care of the grieving widow. His flesh response was to cover it up. And how much is that our flesh response as well? Is to try to cover up our sin. Adam and Eve did it as the very first sinners, and we're still doing it today. David's other flesh response to sin was to act religious and judge others. To act religious and judge others. So Nathan the prophet comes to David, and God gave him this story to tell about a rich man and a poor man, and the rich man's got tons of sheep, and the poor man has only one sheep. And there was a visitor coming, and he wanted to present a meal before the visitor. And so this rich man decided, I don't want to slaughter any of my sheep. I'm going to take the poor man's sheep and use that sheep to make this dinner. And David is just filled with indignation. How could it be? It says, then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Right? It's amazing how righteous we can feel about other people's sin when we're covering up our own. But beware. David, in his fake righteousness, declared this man should pay back fourfold. Well, this man was fake. It was a story Nathan was telling. But God made David pay back fourfold. How do we know that? Because David lost four sons. The baby that didn't have a name, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. David paid fourfold for his sin out of a declaration that he made out of his own fake righteousness. Come on, are you guys tracking with me here? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Man, the only way we can minister to one another in righteousness and truth is when we're dealing with the logs in our eyes. Is when we're not doing this fake righteousness thing where we act like we're better than everybody else. When really we're just covering up our sin. Right, listen, we, we as a church, we make a strong stand that marriage is between one man and one woman, right? And that God created people, male and female. And we make a strong stand for that. But you know what makes us look awful as a church? Is when we run around wagging our finger at people who practice homosexuality while covering up all the heterosexual sin in our church. Come on, we can't be playing this fake righteousness game. These flesh responses to sin. So we know that David played this game for approximately the length of the pregnancy. Right? So for about nine months, David tried to live in this flesh response to sin. And you've probably heard the old saying that David had too much sin to enjoy God and too much God to enjoy sin. Right? 
He had too much sin in his life to enjoy his relationship with God, but he had too much God in his life to enjoy participating in sin. And so he lived in this limbo, this awful place to be for nine months until he's confronted with his sin. And when confronted with his sin, we finally see his heart response. And I want to talk to you today about his heart response. What does he declare to Nathan when Nathan says, you're the man. That was just a fake made up story about a rich man. You're the man. I'm here to talk to you about your sin. And as we read about this sin in chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel, what do we read about sin? We read that sin is committing evil against the Lord. We learn that sin is despising God's word. It's despising God himself. It's giving God's enemies an opportunity to blaspheme him. It's displeasing God, right? So we can come up with all sorts of definitions for sin, but this one's pretty straightforward. Sin is displeasing God, and it's living in such a way that you despise God and his word. And so David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, that's the only response we actually get from 2 Samuel chapter 12. But we get the full response because David, being a musician, wrote a song about it and poured his heart out in a song. And as we look at the song, I want to talk about the three things that were in David's heart response to sin. And I want to call us to those three things. The first thing is brokenness. The psalm that he wrote is Psalm 51. Let's read verses 16 and 17. David wrote, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The first heart response to being confronted with our sin should be brokenness. God desires a broken spirit and a broken heart. I believe it's also in your notes there, but a personal salvation requires a personal conviction of sin, right? Sin has to break our hearts. We have to be broken that we have sinned and that we have sinned against the Lord. We have to be broken that we have fallen short of the glory of God. It has to break our heart that we made a choice that did not glorify God. It has to break us, right? God desires a heart that is crushed over the presence of any sin in our lives, God desires a heart that is crushed over the presence of any sin in our lives. He's not looking for, a, oh, well, you know what? I'll, I'll get right with you, God, when, when I'm back in church on Sunday. Oh, God, I mean, you and me are good, right? Because, like, you just forgive me. That's what you do. That, that's what this whole thing's about. That's not the heart response that God is looking for. He's looking for a people who, when you recognize your sin, when you're confronted with your sin, it breaks your heart. It crushes your spirit. And you say, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be this person. There's a brokenness. The second thing is confession. Let's read the first nine verses of this song that David wrote. 
He said, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you some homework that you go home and you read these nine verses and you count how many times David says, my, my transgression, my sin, my iniquity. That's the heart of confession, right? David says, I have sinned. Not only have I sinned, I've been a sinner since the moment I was conceived. From the moment of conception, the curse of sin has been in my flesh. I am a sinner. I have sinned. It's my sin. I'm not going to blame somebody else for it, right? It's not anybody else's faults. It's not like, hey, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else lives this way. You know, if my parents had raised me better, whatever the case may be, no. He said, my sin, my transgression, my iniquity. Go count how many times he says it over and over again. He says, Lord, you desire truth in the innermost being. He says, I'm done playing this fake righteousness game. It's time to get real deep inside of me. Lord, you have broken me. Now, Lord, will you restore me? So personal salvation requires a personal conviction of sin. It also requires personal responsibility for sin. A personal conviction of sin and a personal responsibility for sin. So what do we do? We confess that we're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I've been a sinner from the moment I was conceived. The curse of sin is in my flesh, but that's not far enough. Most of us are okay with that because there's kind of like a group identity to it, and, and, and it's kind of safe. But if all you do is confess you're a sinner without confessing your sins, you're missing a key step. So we confess we're sinners, and then we confess our specific sins. We confess them to God. We confess them to the elders of the church. We confess them to Christian brothers and sisters. Right? I already quoted 1 John 1, 9 today. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Right? James gives us this beautiful picture of church where we come into church and we confess our brokenness to one another and we pray for one another and we're healed and there's an accountability and a fellowship and an intimacy with one another. And that's not really the picture of church most of us live by. The picture of church most of us live by is we come to church, we smile, we tell everybody, hey, I'm too blessed to be stressed. God is so good. Everything's wonderful. And then we go home and we play the game again for another week. 
That is never the picture of the church that God intended. That picture is never written into the Bible. What's written into the Bible is confess your sins to one another. Heal one another. It doesn't say to judge one another, condemn one another, condescend one another. No, it says to heal one another. But we can only heal one another if we confess to one another. And we say, well, who do we confess to? People that you trust. Hopefully you trust me and Shannon that you would come and let us know so that we could pray with you and you could be healed. Other people in the church that you trust. But listen, if your, if your sin was committed publicly for lots of people to see, then maybe you should confess publicly, right? If you had some sort of outburst at work and everybody in your office heard it, you probably need to confess to everybody in your office. You know what? I'm so sorry I sinned. Would you please forgive me, right? Confession, brokenness, confession, and finally repentance. We turn away from it. We don't keep doing it. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain within me a willing spirit. Right? Remember, we're talking about David lived for nine months covering up his sin. So for nine months, he had too much sin to enjoy God, but too much God to enjoy sin. So for nine months, he was miserable, and finally, he says, God, do something new in me. Renew that spirit. Create a clean heart in me. God, bring your presence back to me. I'm tired of living without your presence. God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I can't live without your Holy Spirit. Can you restore unto me the joy of my salvation? Can you get me back to where I was? There is a repentance. It's not just, I'm sorry I sinned. It's, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to get back to living right with God. I'm going to turn away from that sin and turn towards God. Let me have the worship team come back up today. And finally, when we do this, when we have this heart response to sin, brokenness, confession, repentance, when we experience God's redemption, we're able to lead others to salvation. David wrote it like this, Psalm 51, 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Right? When we experience true religion, which is brokenness, confession, and repentance, and we experience the grace and the redemption of God through the blood of Jesus, and we are forgiven of the spiritual consequences of our sin, even if we're continuing to face the physical consequences. We now have a gospel message in our hearts that we can share with others. When we're living a fake righteousness, there's no gospel message. But when we experience God's redemption, we've got a gospel message for others, and we can share it with an authentic and a genuine heart because we're not covering up our junk. Thank you, Jesus. Will you stand together with me? We're going to sing this song together. We've been singing this song for the last few weeks, but I just couldn't think of a better song to sing right now than a song of confession and redemption. 
than a song of recognizing our own brokenness and then rejoicing in the family of heaven that we've been called to be a part of. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that us as Kauai Bible Church, that we would be a people after God's own heart. And what does that mean? It means we're not perfect. We live in a sinful, broken flesh, in a sinful, broken world. But that when we do sin, we are broken, we confess, and we repent. And if we would live that way in community with one another, we would find a beautiful healing together, and we would find a beautiful gospel message that we could share with the world. Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you minister to every heart today? Oh, God, would the truth of your word sink deep within our hearts? God, I pray even now you would confront us with our sin. Jesus, Jesus, confront us with our sin, sin that we have rationalized, sin that we have blamed on others. Jesus, Jesus, sin that we have tried to explain away sin that we have participated in because the world said it was okay. Jesus, we are not of this world. We are of your kingdom, Lord. So would you reveal that sin to us? And could we be like David now in a moment of brokenness to say, I don't want to live apart from your presence, God. I don't want to live without your joy. I don't want to live in the brokenness of a heavy hand upon me because I have tried to hide my sin. Lord, I want to live in the joy of your presence. I want to live in the goodness of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, would you break our flesh oh, that we might be a people who would respond with the heart of God. And there would be a great healing that would take place in our lives and in our church. And there would be a great ministry that we would have to the world. Jesus, Jesus, let the truth of this message change us today. Speak to us about the reality of sin, where it's being conceived in our lives, where we've been ignoring the Holy Spirit. Reveal it to us, Lord, that we might respond as David responded. Lord, I am a sinner, and against you and you alone have I sinned. Jesus, would you do this deep work in us as we stand before your presence? In Jesus' name, amen.